0: In this episode of Full Stack Radio, I talk to Frank de about getting started with event sourcing. Uh, We talk about what event sourcing even is, we cover all sorts of interesting terminology, and walk through a few practical real world examples to get a better idea of what it looks like to use event sourcing in a real project. This is Full Stack Radio, episode 85. hey everyone before we get into the interview with frank uh, just a little bit of news that i want to share i recently announced that i'm working on a brand new course on advanced view component design it's going to cover things like using component composition to make components easier to reuse, and encapsulating multi-root components using portals, using scoped slots to make components easier to customize, uh, writing renderless data provider components, and tons and tons more. Uh, so if that sounds interesting to you, be sure to head over to advancedview.com, all lowercase, all one word, and subscribe to get course updates, uh, free screencasts, and a big discount when the course launches this May. Uh, that's all I got. Enjoy the rest of the show. Hey everyone welcome to another episode of the full stack radio podcast i'm your host adam wildin and today it's my uh, pleasure to be speaking with frank de Jonge, who is a developer uh, in the netherlands how's it going frank
1: pretty good pretty good how are you
0: really good so for anyone uh, who doesn't know who you are do you mind introducing yourself and talking sort of a little bit about what you do
1: yeah sure uh, so uh, my name is Frank de Jonge. I'm a freelance developer uh, based out of uh, Amsterdam in the Netherlands. Um, For the last couple of years, I've been the uh, maintainer of Flysystem. So, um, if you use that, I'm basically that dude. Um, Yeah, that's it. I've 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 been uh, working on several open source uh, projects and. Uh spoke at a couple of conferences, uh, try to be like as active as I can in the community. So, yeah. Cool, man. Yeah. So
0: uh, the reason that I wanted to have you on the show is because uh, recently you sort of have been publicly working on uh, this new open source library called EventSauce which is like a PHP library uh, to make it easier to sort of get started with uh, event sourcing in your application. And uh, we've never talked about event sourcing on the podcast before, and it's not something that I have a lot of experience with. So I thought it would be cool to talk to someone who uses it a lot and seems to know quite a bit about it and, uh, you know, see what we can learn about um, what event sourcing even is and when and why you would use it and how it all sort of works. So maybe the best place to get started would be to just sort of, try and define what event sourcing even is. Is it a pattern? Is it an architecture? And what does it sort of involve?
1: All right, so it's sort of this um, almost holistic way of modeling software, Um, like traditionally. It's uh, tied to a lot of other patterns that you see, um, uh, like CQRS and CQS and um, event-based and uh, message-based architectures. Uh, but what it really comes down to, for, for me, is um, that instead of modeling in state, which is a lot of what we do in, in PHP, uh, we move the, or we transition that focus uh, actually from the state into the uh, transitions that go from one state to another. So it's, instead of uh, being state-based modeling, you're going to into a transitional uh, model actually. So in order to have transitions, uh, you do need to store something and that something is actually uh, the event. So, uh, and then if you look at the name, it says event sourced. So uh, that sourcing part or that sourced part is from sourcing. So um, when you act on a model, you first source it from all the events that um, are associated with that process or with that uh, entity that you are modeling. Uh, so that's, in general, where like the name comes and yeah. kind of the stuff that it builds off. So
0: I have never used event sourcing in a project, but based on like the um, the research I've done into it and sort of trying to understand what it means, I think like the example that. I kind of use in my head that I I'm curious if you think is accurate is um like modeling like a bank account balance for example. So like naively you might think that if you were trying to represent, you know, someone's bank account in a piece of software that you could just have a column on a bank accounts table called balance, right? That would have a number in it saying this person has $500 in their account. Yeah. But in reality Like, your bank account balance isn't really just like some number. It's actually just the current state of your bank account based on all these transactions that have happened leading up to it. Like, I deposited $500, then I spent $300, then I deposited $800, and that's like why there's $500 in the bank account. So when I think about event sourcing, like the example I use in my head is, you know, we can get that number 500, but we're not getting it by just reading some state from somewhere. We're getting it by sort of layering these transactions that occurred on top of each other and seeing like, you know, we started from zero, then all these things happened, and now we have, you know, some amount as a result of basically adding and subtracting these numbers the whole way along. Is that like an accurate way to think about sort of the simplest part of the idea? You know what I mean?
1: It is. The most uh, iconic way uh, to to think about it it is also like um, a lot of uh, why event sourcing is popular in a lot of fields it 's because of the accountability and the accountability comes from uh, the accounting world uh, so it 's actually also a technique that uh, predates uh, software in its entirety because it was a technique that was developed in uh, the accountancy field. Uh, so that uh, bank account example that you uh, that you uh, illustrated uh, is in fact the classic uh, way to illustrate it. It's also the most boring way uh, <laughs> to use event sourcing. Like there's um, many different reasons why you would want to use event sourcing for uh, parts of the system. Um, not only uh, for uh, the accountability uh, part, like the, uh, you get certain things for free, uh, like an audit trail and uh, the ability to uh, build up your state based on what actually happened. And even if you had incorrect um, uh, calculations intermediately, so you were displaying a wrong number, you could actually like replay all the events uh, that led up to basically now, um, and have a more accurate representation, uh, like if you fix the logic behind it, to uh, to display what, what's actually the state now. So you have like these um, ways to uh, repair the current state based on uh, still what factually happened in, in the past. And also you have a way to correct the, the state or to figure out that Uh, what happened was actually wrong and still be able to correct it uh, by using new events. So that's actually something that's also um, uh, originated from the accountancy world. An accountant will never correct a number. It will always append a correction. So these things are um, quite uh, interesting if you look at it from like an agile software uh, point of view because you could see like uh, like one of the things that you want to do in, in, in uh, agile software development is uh, like falling, uh, failing forward. Like if, if you're failing, you're not going to roll back, but you're just going to uh, apply. Uh, make sure that you're able to apply a fix uh, quickly, um, and that that model of uh, correcting it by just basically living with it and uh, adding a correction on top of it. Uh, The mental model for that is is pretty similar. But apart from uh, just having that uh, accountancy uh, bank account thing, it's really good for um, cases where you need to communicate a lot with other systems and not just that something happened or that there's a new state now, but also why something happened and Uh, Like you get, you sort of get the opportunity for that uh, communication for free when you use event sourcing. Sometimes it's the sole reason to use event sourcing.
0: Yeah. Okay. I think that makes a lot of sense. So it sounds like you're saying like the the biggest benefit, at least based on what we've talked about so far, is um, sort of being able to have this history, right? And sort of being able to have this audit log and sort of understand how things got from one state, uh, into another state. Correct. What other benefits do you think you get from, from trying to model things, uh, in this way? Well, a lot of, um,
1: a lot of products, especially on the web, they are really heavily focused on how a user interacts with a system, uh, yet it's mostly modeled around state. Um, so. By using event sourcing, you can actually explicitly model that uh, process rather than the state uh, it has in different steps in a uh, a timeline. So uh, putting that emphasis on actually the uh, transitional part of a a process um, is often a more accurate model, if that makes sense, for what we're actually doing. Yeah. Uh, as an example, like, um, now the last thing that I used event sourcing for was actually an onboarding process for uh, a company. So it's, it's not really a registration form or a registration flow, like they were existing users, but they needed to be transitioned or their account needed to be converted to the new system. So we invited them um, to take part in uh, like a, uh, the new account format. And they needed to go over a few steps uh, in order to uh, be a valid user in the system. So like if you look at this from a we're just modeling state point of view, you would get the old account persisted in some kind of new account or make it like an an application of some sorts. And then you could convert that into a new account um, so you just have, like, these two states. We have an incomplete account and we have a complete account. And you basically magically transition from one to the other, um, but you, one, don't know how, and two, if you're in a state where, uh, like, this was a, a pretty extensive flow that people needed to go through, uh, like even uh, uh, stages where they needed to, uh, to use uh, bank information to verify... Uh, personal uh like uh, for personal identification um you want to know about this project like a process you want to uh know where people are how long it took Uh, you want introspection on the process you want uh, to to know how people got there that's why the value is for that process so to use event sourcing for that is basically not it's not a bank account situation where you uh, need to add up everything uh, in order to, to get where you want to be. But also, uh, it's, it's not just that. Because in the end, you'll have multiple pages and you'll uh, add uh, bits and pieces of information um, along the way. And all the events itself are valid. So each step has... Uh, is, is, uh, is, you can validate the step... By itself, yeah. and then, in the end, you'll know you'll have all the information in order to create the new account, so it it gives you a far more f- fine grained control over that entire process uh, but think, that's also yeah. I think what
0: I'm hearing too is it sounds like it's almost like it lets you map the the code more closely to the criteria that you're actually sort of talking about in the real world you know what i mean like yeah what we we don't care if this person's um password is has been updated to 20 characters right which is maybe something say part of like this account upgrade step is everyone needs to make their password stronger everyone needs to add two-factor authentication uh blah 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 right
1: and literally the steps that i modeled got it
0: okay so in like a traditional state-based um sort of approach if you wanted to check to see like has this user completed the sort of account upgrade flow or whatever you would maybe do that by checking well you can't even check to see if the person's password is longer because you're not storing the actual password right yeah but you could correct. check to see like okay do they have is to their two-factor authentication whatever id with whatever service or however that actually works is in this column that used to be null say and, you know, there's just like some other fields that you can sort of use to compute whether or not they've actually upgraded their account. Whereas if you're modeling it in like an event sourcing way, it sounds like the way that you would check is just by literally asking your, your data the same questions that you'd be asking in real life. Like, did this person upgrade their password? Did they add a two-factor authentication? And you could find those events that say like, well, this is the event that shows they added that two-factor authentication at this time. And here's the metadata that sort of came along with it. And yeah, we stored some state maybe as a result of that, but we're not determining if they upgraded their account by checking that state. We're determining it by checking if the events happened.
1: Does Does that sound right? That is absolutely correct. Like what you're saying, um it's 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 right on the money. Um if you're looking at the state and you sort of have to infer what happened based on that, uh it's never going to be as accurate as knowing that it happened.
0: Yeah, and I think that makes I think that makes a lot of sense. I think um I can see how that would make a lot of things simpler in a lot of ways because you're writing code that's just really concerned about being explicit about tracking like the th- things that happened that you actually maybe care about in the business process instead yeah, of sort is. of translating those to the way that makes sense to represent it as state in a SQL database and then sort of having to reverse engineer based on that state that this event must have happened. Otherwise, this state couldn't be the way it is now.
1: It also allows you to, uh, to sort of decouple those, um, uh, those needs. Like often when you have a data-centric model, uh, you're actually mixing the representational um, concerns with the actual uh, problem-solving concerns. It's so like in uh, CQRS, they, um, they, uh, they separate like that's a uh, command uh, query, uh, Uh, Responsibility. Responsibility. Separate. Yeah. Uh, So, they explicitly uh, say that you can have a a model, a write model, and a read model. I don't really like those terms. Like, a read model I like, but I don't like the write model. Um, Like, for me, it's more a sort of an act model. It's like, if I do stuff, then... I want to have a certain model that fits that narrative. So I just uh, I want to uh, playback everything in order to uh, to to know what is what. And even if I um, have new actions that are influenced by things that in the, uh, happened in the past, it's like even in the application lifecycle, a feature can be created later, but still be aware of what has happened and create a new internal representation in order to. Um, to make sure it has uh, the required information uh, to allow or disallow an action, that's that's really really powerful.
0: Got it. So, I think maybe the the thing that would be interesting to get into next is we sort of we sort of defined it conceptually, and I think uh, we've done a pretty good job at talking through some examples that um, hopefully resonate with people and have them sort of understand you know what this this stuff sort of is but i think probably where things start to get more interesting or or where there's interesting challenges and problems to solve is when it gets into actually sort of modeling things this way uh, in the real world in systems that you know need to be high performance and stuff like that because it sounds like in a perfect world where everything happened immediately and there was infinite resources anytime that you needed to find out what someone's bank account balance was, you would iterate over every event that happened to that bank account, sort of keeping a tally in memory of what, how those events are affecting the number that you want to eventually report and then kind of return that at the end of the day. Right. But, But of course, like there's no way that that's going to be practical because I can certainly see how if you're modeling everything this way, especially in, systems at scale with a lot of people doing a lot of things, I could easily see how you could get up to millions and millions of events that you're storing, right? So Correct. it doesn't sound Correct. practical to be able to sort of replay these things and calculate this, these numbers on the fly every single time. So how do you tackle this problem of the fact that in reality, you know, there's going to be challenges in getting the information that you want if you have to source it by replaying events every single time what are some of the patterns what are some of the, the ways to to make this more practical to use in the real world
1: yeah okay so first off it's uh, it's really good to keep in mind that if you're uh, uh you're storing all the events but when you're uh going back to a state uh, for an aggregate it's uh, very much um a narrowed scope of events so it's it's you're not gonna uh, replay the entire timeline of everything that ever happened in the system, uh, but it's going to be replayed for one process of one bank account. Like If you look at your bank account, all the transactions that are just unique to you, then that, that number drops down like a factor of one million. So that's actually the scope that we're replaying events in. Like for some projections, it's going to be a lot more, but even for those kind of situations, there are ways to work around that because most of the time we're not interested in the entire history. Uh, And also there's uh, ways, like if we are interested uh, in the entire history, there's ways to speed that up as well.
0: Sure. So before we go any further, you you used a couple terms that I think are worth maybe of defining. So you talked, you mentioned the word aggregate, which not everyone probably knows what that means, and also projection. So why don't we talk a little bit about like, what is an aggregate in the kind of the context of event sourcing?
1: So in the context of event sourcing, um, everything that is an aggregate is basically something that has a life cycle. Um, So you could say like a uh, a bank account uh, changes over time, that has a life cycle. A transaction in that bank account does not have a life cycle because it has happened. It's more like an event, but it can also be like a thing that's on the list. But that item itself will not change. So um, that item is just a value or uh, sometimes uh, uh, expressed in a value object within an aggregate. And if you look at the entire process, you might have uh, multiple aggregates that are sort of bound together, but there's like uh, one um, encapsulating aggregate around it, and that's commonly referred to as the aggregate root. So um, the aggregate root is the aggregate uh, that basically defines the uh, encapsulation boundary.
0: So, can you think of some? like relatable real world examples that can help people sort of tie this terminology to different pieces? Like even in maybe the account onboarding uh, situation that you were talking about, is this applicable there or or what is the aggregate there? What's the aggregate route?
1: That's a relatively uh, simple one uh, to model. Like the, uh, the process itself of onboarding is uh, the aggregate there. Uh, but you could... Um, Maybe see it like if you're uh, yeah the problem with event sourcing in general to explain it, you have to come up with uh, examples that are really complicated, so uh, those uh, those examples are hard to uh, to come up with in the first place yeah, yeah. Um, so but for instance like if if there was a process where we needed to um, uh, to facilitate some manual grouping uh, for a uh, um, um, it distrib- oh look, We're we're distributing um, um, money to uh, people that are um, uh, that have intellectual property for music. So when a distribution um, is created, a distribution might be the aggregate route, and within that aggregate route, there are going to be like buckets of money for the artists and those could be uh, modeled as aggregates because they they change and um, I'm seeing, is that a good example? Uh, it kind of, it kind of de- depends. Like I mostly don't have a lot of cases where there are nested aggregates a lot. So um, yeah, that's a tough one. So just the
0: easiest way to think about it though is an aggregate is typically something like, if you can think of events that would happen that would affect something, you know, the thing that's being affected
1: is typically an aggregate. Yeah, yeah. the yeah. the thing, like it, it, it all comes down to, um, if you have a stream of events, what is the scope where uh, if you needed to deduce what happens, um, out of everything that happens, how can you be autonomous for one uh, group. So, if you have that, the common denominator amongst all of those events, uh, that's the indicator for your aggregate root. But that's really abstract. I, uh, I realize that.
0: Yeah, I think I, I think I get it though. Like, it makes sense with like the, like the bank account example, how that would be an aggregate because there's events that are happening that are increasing the balance or decreasing. Um, the balance, uh, that sort of thing. So uh, maybe that's a a decent example to to use as a reference. But if you think of any other ones, I think that uh, it would be good to share them too because I think it can help people sort of have things click for people a little bit easier in that way. Just wanted to take a quick break to thank one of this week's sponsors, and that is Rollbar. So here's what Paul, the founder of CircleCI, had to say about one of their favorite features of Rollbar and how it helps them keep things running at CircleCI.
2: Before we used Rollbar, we used a different error tracking service, and we were shopping for a new one. And so we did the, the tour and looked at uh, Rollbar and all of its competitors. And it was it was really the feature set of Rollbar that was super impressive and that made us go there. In particular, the people tracking, I think, is, is really... Uh, it's not just a great feature, but it also kind of speaks our language. because We're very focused on making sure that customers are happy. and We want to make sure that we have like an individual understanding of what happens to each customer. So the fact that we're able to click on you know, th- this customer is experiencing a lot of bugs and to be able to follow the-, the progression of bugs that they've been experiencing is very important. If we get an email from a customer... And the customer says, you know, your your website keeps glitching on me and being able to to go to Rollbar and to say, OK, this individual customer, this is how they're experiencing the site. Because otherwise you have to give like an overall state of things and overall things are looking good because if they weren't, we'd be dealing with it.
0: So I've been using Rollbar a lot lately on my SaaS app, Nitpick CI and loving it. Uh, if you want to check it out, you can head over to rollbar.com slash fullstackradio, and you can use their bootstrap plan for free for 90 days. So check that out, and uh, thanks again to Rollbar for sponsoring Fullstack Radio. Um, so the other term that you mentioned was projection. So what is a projection in the context of event sourcing? All right,
1: so in event sourcing, whenever something happens, that um, that event, as in a event in the real world is modeled as an event in the system so uh, for example uh, a user has started uh, the onboarding process you could literally name that event user has started the onboarding process and everything that is contextually relevant would be uh, caught in the payload of that event and over the course of the project or or, uh, of the process Uh, multiple of these events are uh, recorded and they are not just recorded for um, reconstitution and that might be another term to get into because it's often used uh, in the event sourcing uh, world. Uh, But when they are recorded, they're stored but they're also communicated to other systems. And those other systems, um, they might um, use that uh, event data to create a view that's optimized for reading. So like your account balance on your page, uh, if you read it there, it's not gonna be based off like, directly of the entire event stream. It's gonna be based off a read model that is kept in sync uh, so based on the events.
0: If we are gonna try and like talk about that in like a really concrete way, And we haven't really talked about the technology, I guess, involved in this stuff yet, but maybe we can just make some assumptions about it. But if you're saying there's like a stream of events that are happening that are, um, you know, affecting this bank account, which is an aggregate, um, there could be some piece of code somewhere that's basically listening for these events and updating a single record in a database table that's showing just like the current state of that bank account as has been affected by these events. And that's... That's kind of the idea of like a projection. It's like something that's there optimized for reading because you can just get the information you want right away. But it's also not like the source of truth, and you could delete that row and kind of rebuild it from scratch using the events that are your real source of truth.
1: Sort of anytime you need it to. Correct. Like it's uh, literally if you have uh, an image on a projector, what you see on the on the screen or on the wall is not literally that image. It is a new way, like a projected way to look at it. So it's um, it mirrors it, it is based off it, but it does not have to be that source of truth. And that's also the powerful thing about it because you can also um, create uh, like a summary, like uh, in, um, in the bank account, that would be your account balance. But also it could allow you for very optimized cases of like a, a top five of most views blog posts for a given blog or yeah. Uh, whatever.
0: Yeah. So here's a question for you that I think I know the answer to, but I think is like kind of an interesting example, maybe. So we're talking about like projections being like a representation of some state based on some stream of events, right? And I think it's easy to look at that and say, okay, bank account balance, we're going to show the current bank account balance. Uh, we're going to store like the the current number based on these events. And I think naively, it's easy to think of there being almost like a one-to-one relationship between like a projection and like an aggregate and the events that sort of built it. But it's, I think thinking about it, it seems kind of obvious when you think about it deeply that you could very easily have different projections that have different jobs that are still sort of based on the same data. So the example that's coming to mind for me is say you wanted to show like a report that like broke down your spending across different categories, like how much money you spend on meals, how much money you spend on gas, how much money you spend on rent, whatever. That could be just a projection based on the exact same events that the bank account balance projection is based on. Is that correct?
1: Correct, correct. But you can even take it a step further than that. Uh, you could say, well, I've got uh, multiple bank accounts, and um, I'm creating an overview page based of all my accounts that are uh, that I have, but not just mine. Maybe also uh, like uh, uh, my girlfriend's or my uh, wife's uh, account. Um, not that I have a girlfriend and a wife. I only have a girlfriend, but just to be just to be clear. Uh, but uh, So you can break out of that aggregation boundary to create more meaningful insights based off the events of multiple streams as well.
0: So can you think of an... Okay, so that's just like an account overview page. So you have one projection that's built by listening to m- multiple event streams is what you're kind of saying in that yeah. case. And An event stream... That's something we haven't really defined, but I guess I'm just assuming it to mean um, events are happening, you're kind of getting notified about them. Are, are there such things as like different event streams or is it just one event stream and typically you would be filtering out like whether or not you care about that event?
1: So in uh, different parts of your event source application, the event stream that you're dealing with is gonna uh, be different. If you're uh, acting on your model, your model is is built up by replaying all the events uh, that happened, and that is the aggregate event stream. Um, This process of building it up basically consists of having those events in uh, chronological order and uh, applying them or uh, sort of re-responding them without any... um, additional side effects. uh, So you get to the current state again. Uh, This process is called uh, reconstitution, by the way, that I mentioned earlier. Um, So that is a stream of events or an event stream, but generally uh, the event stream is basically the bulk of information that is uh, going through a system. Uh, So uh, that's all the events for all the aggregates Uh, that are bundled together. And there are ways to trim this down as well. You can use multiple event streams for things that are um, separated enough from each other that they don't need the information uh, directly or it it could be processed asynchronously or there could be some kind of mediation between the two streams, like uh, um, things called process managers which basically consume Uh, events from one stream, then maybe um, act on a different stream. So um, in that sense, there are often multiple streams within an application, and there are uh, multiple ways of consuming and filtering and sometimes even querying uh, a stream of events to get uh, the events that you're actually interested in. Got
0: it. So maybe this would be a good time to talk more about some of the concrete like implementation details around some of this stuff. So I think the first question that I have is how are you storing events? Like is there a kind of specific piece of technology that people use like consistently to store this stuff do some people just have a MySQL table that events go into other people are putting them into some some other store uh, what are kind of the options there and, and what are kind of the popular solutions
1: all right so a very popular uh, solution is uh, get event store which is um Uh, basically a a database specifically created to do event sourcing or to do event-based modeling, basically. And event sourcing is uh, a way to do event-based modeling. Um, But you don't need a specialized store. Like uh, I often just have like either MySQL, like lately I've been using a lot of Postgres uh, uh, databases uh, for this. Um, like Postgres is pretty easy. There are people that even use like uh, MongoDB as a uh, event store. Um, you could use the file system as uh, as an event store. Be- everything that you can transform into this um, append only log, and like you can keep appending to a file. Uh, it's pretty easy. You can read files pretty easily. Uh, so uh, you can you can basically basically use anything as an event store, um, but there are certain t- traits that uh, uh, that are nice to have. Uh, like GetEventStore um, has a way uh, for consumers to, uh, to to get notified of uh, of new updates. Like normally you don't want to uh, be pulling a database in order to, to get new events. Um, So uh, if you're using something like uh, Postgres or MySQL, you can actually um, do like a a double dispatch uh, sort of strategy where you first store your events in the database and then uh, also uh, publish those uh, same events on a queue. Because all the events when stored are really simple, like it's mostly just a, a Something that can be deduced to a, a blob of of JSON with um, an identifier of what type of event it is. Um, like it, it's it's such a simple um, structure that uh, storing it is uh, is easy. It it can be uh, stored really fast. Uh, it's also communicated easily over the network. It can be really condensed. Um, so all these things make it really easy to uh, uh, to use, use really simple storage for it. Got it.
0: So the question that that kind of raised for me uh, that I think is worth discussing is how does interacting with a, an event stream in an event sourcing context sort of compare to what people might be used to with more simple traditional like event and event listener setups, you know, like if you're using a framework like Laravel, it has, you know, a built-in event dispatching system and you can create listeners that listen for events and do things, whether they do things synchronously or whether they queue something that happens asynchronously. Um, How does the way that you would interact with events that are on this stream in an event sourcing context sort of compare to that and what are you kind of doing differently like is there situations where an event happens and something is subscribed to that event and it does work you know synchronously before the event is even stored in the event store or is there sort of a rule where whenever an event is fired the very first thing that happens is it's committed to the store and then you dispatch that to all the listeners or do you always do it by putting that in a queue as well? And there's a completely other process that's consuming that queue. And then, um, then basically notifying anyone who's subscribed to those events that those events happen. I guess like what I'm curious about mostly is like the sync versus async nature of things. And is it always one way or always the other way? Or is there a mix and why would there be a mix? And then just in general, anything that maybe is like an unknown unknown to me about how it compares with um, what you might be used to with just like a traditional event dispatching system that you might have in an application?
1: Yeah. All right. So uh, for me, the main difference or the most important difference is like with uh, traditional modeling, uh, the important stuff has happened and you're bringing somebody up to speed with what has happened. Uh, While in event sourced, um, like the... The meat of your application is the fact that there is a dispatching system and everything uh, works based off of that um, event. So the event is paramount, not uh, the stuff that led up to it per se. So that's that's the mental uh, difference, not in uh, how it's executed, but more in how you value the um, uh, the events itself. Uh, and because the events are so uh, important, uh, it also uh, forces you or makes you reevaluate how you're going to treat them. It's like if you have multiple listeners that are listening on one event, if you would do that in Laravel, you can do that. And basically, uh, Laravel would take the event, uh, look at everybody who is listening to it, and then loop over those um, those listeners and uh, hand them uh, the events because uh, PHP is uh, uh, a synchronous uh, language. Uh, but what happens if uh, all of these events are important? Uh, you uh, The events in Laravel are not uh, stored, um, they're, they basically disappear after the request. Mm-hmm. Uh, but what happens uh, when the second uh, consumer fails? If that results in, ex- in an exception. Yeah. So like when that happens, basically the third listener uh, won't even be notified, uh, but it will also not know that it, that it, that, uh, that, it, the event, that it
0: missed the event, yeah. That it,
1: while the actual thing still happened. Yeah. Uh, so for a lot of things, uh, that's okay. Uh, if a user uh, registered, and you wanna send them a welcome mail, and you miss one, uh, nobody dies. Like sure. there's, it's, it's, it's and for uh, the majority of the cases, it's, it's fine. Um, but uh, in, very complicated uh, uh, processes where you need a lot of introspection, where you may be, where you want to have data of like something that you're optimizing, like is this working? Uh, We're changing, even changing the UX. Um, You could have all the information from the event stream and uh, based off introspection of the events, you can know if uh, a design change in your uh, UI has uh, benefited maybe your acquisition process or your uh, your conversion rate or whatever. So um, uh, those things uh, they have a lot more value uh, for the for the business that way. While in uh, the more traditional things, the things that has value for the business has already happened. Uh, the state has been updated. There is no going back. There is no uh, basically no chance of recovery, but it's not that bad.
0: Mm-hmm. And,
1: and that's, uh, that's the biggest biggest difference. Like uh, in event sourcing, you could still have uh, things uh, that need to happen synchronously. You could uh, like even uh, choose to uh, spend uh, a database transaction around uh, storing the events and having uh, an, uh, a projection. So uh, if the projection fails, even the events will be uh, rolled back. Um, But it's basically having that wide array of options to choose from, that makes it such a powerful thing. Uh, It's not just one way of doing it and then basically living with the consequences of that technology. It's uh, Because everything is based around communication that is modeled in a way that's also serializable, so storable, Thus replayable for the consuming side, you have every chance of doing recovery or uh, have retry mechanisms um, uh, in any stage of uh, your application, always. But you can still mix and match. And like what I see a lot in uh, event source systems, is that uh, people uh, go from nothing to uh, like a very hardcore approach, like. Everything needs to be asynchronous now, and it's like I think uh, people should uh, basically ease up on that and uh, and know that they can be uh, pragmatic. Uh, like the world that they came from is not this dark place where everything was messed up. Like there's uh, uh, there is uh, some wiggle room uh, that yeah. people are just uh, generally not not taking anymore. Um, and I think uh, I think people uh, I think people should. Cool, I think that makes sense.
0: Um, maybe it would be useful to to go through. I have an idea for like a really simple example in my head from an application that I built, and I yep. kind of want to ask you some questions about like what it would look like uh, to build that with event sourcing, and some questions I have about how that affects different really practical things along the way. Mm-hmm. So. Um, Imagine an application where, um, in my case, it was products and making products visible, but it's easy to think about it as like a blog post too that can be like in draft mode or in published mode. Yeah. And there's a publish button on the UI that triggers like an AJAX request that goes back to the server to to publish the post or publish the product. Yeah. So in this case, like I'm thinking like uh, from an event sourcing sort of approach, what would be happening is somewhere in there you're, you're firing like a product was published event sort of thing. And then somehow a response is coming back to the front end and it can update, you know, the UI to basically say, okay, it's published now. Like there's a little check Mark or whatever. And some projection is listening somewhere to actually update some state so that you can check later that it's published. So I think it'd be interesting to maybe like try and walk through this example step-by-step step and figure out where different things would happen and, and how they would work. And maybe we can talk about different options or different ways that you might want to do it. Mm-hmm. Um, but maybe it would be useful to talk about something like really concrete, like this, <coughs> and see what we can kind of figure out. Yeah. So if this Ajax request comes into the server to some endpoint, you know, that's expecting uh, some data about a product that's supposed to be published, what's kind of like the first thing that happens in like the controller, like forget like validation say, um, yeah. but you just wanna actually start doing some work. What's like the first piece of work that you do?
1: So the first piece of work that you would do is retrieve the aggregate. Like you can uh, wrap this in uh, a command handler or whatever, like the uh, if you like uh, command busses that could uh, be wrapped around this process, but it doesn't really matter. Uh, what you basically do is uh, you fetch the aggregate uh, from uh, something that's a, like a repository for your aggregate root, um, an aggregate root repository maybe. Um, and then you would uh, call a method on that aggregate root and that would uh, uh, that aggregate root would be uh, reconstituted based off all the events that happened to that particular Uh, blog post and then uh, when you would hit the publish method and that would check well am i in the uh, now in the state where i can be published and then uh, if it is in that state it would only um, dispatch the event Uh, that would say um, uh, blog post was published
0: Okay, so I want to deconstruct that a little bit for a second here. So when we're fetching this aggregate root, is the aggregate root like a projection of the aggregate root, or how does it like what sort of state does it does it have on it? Like this is something I didn't even think about until now. but like if all of this state just exists as events that are getting sort of consumed by things that are creating projections, Correct. does an yeah. aggregate root need to be anything other than, just like an ID, you know what I mean?
1: An aggregate root is uh, the, like the entity of an aggregate root is basically an ID. So you have an aggregate root ID where you, uh, what you used in order to fetch all the events, like all the events uh, that belong to an aggregate root are tagged or are associated through metadata with the uh, aggregate root ID. And that's how you can query yeah. them basically. But from it doesn't the actually...
0: Need to be any other state on it, I guess, right? Because in a purely event source system, all that state is really just derived from these events. So it's like okay. entities just become IDs, and that's it.
1: Um, in in terms of what is stored, uh, basically that, and most often it's not even stored. Like you you're, uh, what you're, um, uh, what you're getting is something that is rebuilt on the fly. Uh, to get back into that uh, state, uh, the, the probably the the best way to look at it, especially if you're familiar with front end, is uh, like Redux. Uh, if you um, if you look at the actions in Redux as events, mm-hmm. um, and you have the state, the state is a projection. Um, but you can also just replay it. Like if you have the Redux monitor, you can drag uh, like across the timeline and then everything until then gets reapplied. So what does it get reapplied to? Well, it gets reapplied to, uh, in Redux, they just call that the state, but that the state is a thing and event sourcing, uh, that would be an aggregate route.
0: Okay, so a question then is, if we are fetching this aggregate route and or this aggregate and it's it's the, the blog post in this case that we want to publish and there's some rules around if a blog post can be published or not like say a blog post can't be published without a title mm-hmm. but the, the only way to know that it has a title is because there was an event that was like blog post was titled or something right correct yeah then, so, uh, so so when i fetch this aggregate route how do I know whether or not it has a title? Do I read that from a projection or in a perfect world, would I be reconstituting all the events, like kind of on the fly to know for sure the true state of the blog post and a projection is just a performance optimization or?
1: Uh, Both of those things are correct. And you would do them in uh, in either of those two ways. Um, If you were, Looking from a UI point of view, you can already say, well, if my projection knows based on the events what my entity or what my blog post state is, it could choose not to show the publish button at all because it knows it yeah, can't be published. Yeah, I'm just
0: sort of assuming like a bad actor is hitting this endpoint like themselves, you know what I mean, yeah. when it's technically not exposed. Um, cause obviously you still have to account for that and put rules in place for that, but
1: Correct. And so that's all the actions on an aggregate route is, is basically, uh, everything is a command. You tell it to do something. Um, so, uh, when you reconstitute indeed, you reapply all the events that happened to you, but that's, that's milliseconds work. Um, Mainly because, in this case,
0: only because like the number of events that really are going to happen to a blog in even if it's hundreds, hundreds
1: will be milliseconds work. Like people underestimate the uh, how quick PHP is, and most of the time when PHP is slow, it's just waiting on I/O. So it's waiting on that database, and the database is doing all the hard work. If you're uh, fetching a large list of things with associated Uh, tables next to it that's going to be a a lot uh, less performant actually than just uh, reading a stupid list of events and applying them in php
0: it's so in the real world would you actually do that like you would actually reconstitute the events synchronously on the fly there or correct so you wouldn't be like just like reading a projected state about like, what's
1: the current title of the blog post? Um, In some cases you would do that. And also um, there are uh, like sort of intermediate states. And this is what's commonly referred to as snapshotting uh, in uh, event sourcing. So with snapshotting, you actually turn your aggregate root into a persistable entity as well and it knows how far along the timeline it is and only fetches the events that are happening after that snapshot has occurred. So you actually have like, it's like a safe game, uh, right? So, yeah. uh, but also like it's a safe game. So you know that what the state was then, but you also know that things happened after it. So you can just reapply those couple of changes afterward to uh, be sure that you're back in the states that you were yeah. supposed to be.
0: And you know that because the event stream is immutable and you're never going back and changing anything that there's no real risk of having an out of sync state, even if, yeah, 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 that makes sense.
1: Okay, so. Not changing the event stream is uh, basically uh, sort of like a wedge issue in in, uh, the event source uh, (laughs) community. Um, uh, I've definitely, altered events, uh, but mostly that's for like uh, technical infrastructural reasons, not, mm. I'm not rewriting history. Like the thing that happened still happened in the same way it happened. Uh, like it would be uh, like, first I, uh, I, um, I store my state in XML, and now I want to store it in JSON. If you rewrite history to have JSON instead of XML, is it actually rewriting that um, yeah, sure. Event, yeah, doesn't yeah. really
0: matter. So it's kind of a gr- gray area, really. It's not as obvious of an answer necessarily.
1: No, well, there are people who are gonna say, well, if you do that, uh, uh, then uh, you're not doing event sourcing uh, because you should be um, uh, actually correcting it in a uh, in an event afterwards. And while that's technically uh, correct, it's also a um, a very expensive thing uh, to do, like. Uh, By any means, event sourcing is not a cheap solution. Uh, It's rather expensive, but it's also really powerful and will give you a lot of insights. So that's the trade-off that you're going to make. And within that already relatively expensive way of doing things, uh, you're going to not want to always take the most expensive, most puristic option because um, in the end of the day, that's, that's... just gonna uh, weigh you down as well. Uh, So you wanna be relatively pragmatic about this as well. That's kind of how I do it.
0: Just wanted to take a quick break to thank one of this week's sponsors and that's CodeChip. So CodeChip is a hosted continuous integration platform in the cloud that helps you increase your development productivity and ship to production more frequently. CodeShip lets you standardize your tooling and processes across your teams, speeds up your build times, and integrates into your existing ecosystem of tools. CodeShip is a great fit for your team, whether you're just trying to speed up the build times for large apps, or if you want to set up complex delivery pipelines for your microservices using tools like Docker, Kubernetes, and others. Forrester recently released their latest continuous integration tools report, which provides valuable guidance into the rapidly growing continuous integration and continuous delivery market. And CodeShip actually scored as a top five continuous integration vendor in this report. If you're interested in reading this report and learning more about what makes for a great continuous integration and continuous delivery service, uh, you can check out the show notes for this episode and I'll have a link there for you. So if you want to spend less time managing your tools and speed up your software development, give CodeChip a try and sign up for free today at CodeChip.com. I've been a user of CodeChip uh, for many years for all the open source projects that I run continuous integration on, as well as private projects where I use CI, and I couldn't be happier with the service. So thanks to CodeChip for sponsoring the podcast this week, and back to the show. So getting back to this example, if we we fetch this aggregate, uh, we kind of verify that it's in a uh, publishable state by kind of reconstituting its current state from its related events. Then we call a method on the aggregate like publish. Now inside this aggregate itself, um, that object is going to uh, basically raise this blog post was published event or something, right? Correct. And,
1: And it's going to immediately apply it to itself as well. Okay. So that's the part that I'm
0: kind of curious about. So it's, um, what does it mean for it to immediately apply it to itself if we don't even have state for it to ap- apply it to?
1: So uh, the aggregate root is a class. And when you record it, you uh, call, uh, like uh, in event sauce, I call it uh, record that. And then something has happened is the class name. So it's, uh, it's really uh, uh, expressive in that, uh, that sense. Uh, and internally when you uh, when you call record that uh, it will uh, uh, make sure the event is staged to be released later by the aggregate um, and then it will also call the apply method which is responsible for applying it uh, to the aggregate so you Got it. basically uh, when you f- perform an action you basically need two methods one the action itself and then another method to apply what is the effect in state as a in a responding way to that state change got it
0: okay so that's counterintuitive to me and and that the sense that i didn't expect that to be the answer but um so this apply <laughs> applying uh that the blog post was published or whatever so you might so what is this event called you have like a publish method and then you have an event for a pl- or sorry a method for Applying that event. So you would have a method like apply blog post was published event or something?
1: Correct. Yeah. And that would just receive the event.
0: And all that method is really doing in this particular case is updating sort of our in-memory state of the aggregate um, to be what it would be had that event just been on the stream that it reconstituted itself at the beginning of this sort of
1: request cycle. Correct. And the reason for that is so that it can be uh, like if you have multiple commands in uh, the same request or something is on the command line or whatever and you're doing multiple things or you've got a, um, a long running process uh, with an event source part in it, uh, that it's uh, in the state uh, that it needs to be in order to receive the next
0: command. Yeah, that makes sense. Um, but it makes sense, but I didn't expect it. I expected the that the purest kind of, correct way would be that the event got raised and it wasn't applied until like it kind of went through that whole cycle cycle uh, and got back to it but that does make it that sounds a lot more practical um, to apply (laughs) it uh, right away okay
1: otherwise you would just need to uh, basically refetch the aggregates for every action you would do that would be really impractical.
0: that honestly that solves a lot of kind of the the problems or questions that i was kind of worried about in some ways because that kind of gets at that async versus sync sort of problem that I was wondering about you know what I mean because it's basically taking like something that may eventually be processed as async right for other projections or, or anything like that but handling it like synchronously right away so that like your local state is at least accurate so The question that I was going to ask that I think I know the answer to now, so I'll try and answer myself when you tell me if I'm wrong. (laughs) Cool. Is that um, I was trying to think, like, what happens with the rest of this request now? So you've applied this event locally to this blog post, and now, like, there's a property in the blog post or whatever that says published equals true, basically, right? Right. Yep. Um, And uh, we've we've done that. We've, like, raised these events, which have been – it sounds like you don't like fire them right away. Like maybe there's something that happens at the end of the request that goes and actually batches all these events off to the whatever processes them and puts them in the store.
1: Mm -hmm. Yeah, that's correct. So basically what you want to do is, uh, oh, you're going to ask them the question. (laughs) Yeah, sorry. (laughs) Um, Okay, so then you return
0: your response from your controller or whatever, uh, back to the UI that says, hey, like your attempt to publish this blog post was successful. Um, and you can show your little check mark on the screen or whatever. Now, my question was originally going to be, like, if I was to go ahead and refresh this page now, but I was actually processing these events in an async way and this was going to the queue, there's sort of like a race condition for the user experience at least where the blog post might say published after I click the button, but when I refresh, it might still say unpublished because that projection hasn't been rebuilt,
1: right? So that's a possibility. Okay, so... But you can also mediate that.
0: Okay, so how would you mediate that?
1: Again, there are several options. Um, depending on uh, how you've um, constructed your uh, like event store, like the persistence and dispatching of uh, your event sourced system, uh, you could say, well, um, you could ask a prediction. It's like, hey, um, are you at this version of um, of your aggregate, because basically every time you raise an event, you could say, well, I can increase a counter and say, well, I'm now at uh, version 15. So you could take that into account in your projection and say, well, uh, return, this to me when it's at 15. You could basically uh, retry for a couple of times if it's really uh, important to, uh, to you. And uh, like nine out of, uh, like 99 out of 100 times that projection is gonna uh, return on the first call. But if you've just done it, it might be the third call and uh, the request might be like 10 Some milliseconds longer, but uh, that doesn't really uh, matter a lot. Okay. Can we um, so, talk about this
0: in a little bit more detail before we go on? Because I think like I don't fully understand some of this stuff yet. So, okay, um, yeah. the versioning of the aggregate, like where is that information like being stored and what's storing it?
1: All right. So when you reconstitute an aggregate, uh, you every time you apply an event, you can raise an internal. Uh, the, like in event source, the, uh, the base aggregate uh, ups a, a counter. So it knows like one event has been applied to events. Basically, um, with every uh, event applied, uh, you are at the next version. Uh, so you also know when you dispatch uh, all the events uh, that you can basically take that number and say, well, then the first event that was now recorded, that's gonna be 16 and then 17 and then 18. So you know that number every time. So because that number in event source is stored in the metadata, all the projections uh, can use this information as well uh, for more like infrastructural um, purposes. Like-
0: So how does does the projection know like what version you're on though? Like when, like does, is versioning (coughs) the aggregate also an event or?
1: No, the versioning, well, if you're, if you're doing agile content publishing, uh, that draft version might be something that's in the payload. Uh, But generally speaking, all the events have a version uh, because they know in their isolated based off uh, aggregate root uh, stream, uh, they are the nth number uh, event. Uh, And because everything is applied on reconstitution, you know, um, what the latest, uh, what the highest number is. So you, you can just increment that as you uh, record new events. Okay, and so those... I think
0: the missing piece for me that I want to ask you about is when we're, when we're loading up this page to sort of show, you know, the edit view for this post or whatever, where this publish button is. Yeah. Is it expected that that request is going to fetch that aggregate and reconstitute it before fetching the projection? Uh, no. So then if... If the event number, like the version, is stored in the aggregate, then how does this view that's only requesting the projection ever know that that it's now 16 and not 15?
1: Uh, It doesn't. Um, That's uh, one of the things that they call eventual consistency uh so,
0: so how do you know to retry though that you have a stale projection i
1: guess uh, like that uh, that retry mechanism would be like if you want to return if you in the same request as that you dispatch it uh like uh, where your action was got it
0: got it okay so the local the local aggregate knows because it's applying the events um to itself before Correct. firing them off to the store yeah um so in this situation where we're talking about like an AJAX request and then like a page refresh that is still like
1: it's not really like so a how you fix this this se, this, but, this uh, can be uh, fixed with multiple projections uh if you have any f- a projection which is really simple like if you have an editor view of your admin and that would be event source then yeah. you could make that projection uh, a synchronous one so you know it's going to be up to date in that um uh in that same request, so when you get back to it, you know it's gonna be up to date. Uh, But if your uh, blog post is updated in your admin, uh, do your users care if they get it one second later? Uh, They probably don't, so you can really mediate between the levels of consistency that you want in your system. And uh, take that into account when you model the projections or where you place them, even uh, like how many resources uh, you put towards keeping that projection in
0: sync got it okay so when you're creating these like um these classes that are like listening to to these events and man i wish we had more time to talk about some of this stuff i think we should maybe uh, do like a a follow-up i think i think we should
1: because i think we could probably talk for another hour
0: (laughs) yeah um but just to kind of finish off this idea anyways so it sounds like you would have um you know, think of it, I guess, as like a traditional event listener, but using whatever the event sourcing term is for that. And maybe that's something we can talk about next time. Mm-hmm. But when you're sort of like doing whatever it looks like to sort of register these things and and make it so your application knows who it needs to notify when events happen, you can basically classify them as like synchronous or asynchronous Not that that's necessarily some like global event sourcing thing that everybody does, but in your application, the way you're implementing it, you could set it up that way, such as that when these raised events are finally sent to this like central place that worries about storing them, Uh uh, it can store them and then sort of say, well, these, there's five listeners and these two actually care about getting this information like right now. So I'll just dispatch those and then the other ones can get those off of the queue or whatever that's replaying these like events as things are getting pushed onto them. Something like Correct. that.
1: That's exactly the case.
0: Cool. All right, man. Well, I know you, you said you only had an, an hour and I think you're right. You yeah. could talk about this stuff uh, for a lot longer. Um, but yeah, we'll have to, we'll have to continue this conversation another time. I think we still were able to get through a lot of really interesting stuff. And I think it was still a pretty good, uh, introduction to to this topic and I, I had a really fun time talking to you about this i think it was good to sort of try and get into the meat of everything and uh, talk about some of these these real examples it was really really fun so uh thanks so much for for coming on and giving me your uh, time and chatting with be about this stuff dude
1: yeah no worries i had fun doing it and uh, uh yeah it's uh, as i said it's like the topic is so fucking complex and it's uh it's uh the body of knowledge that it's, um, based on is so large. Like I'm, I'm really glad I had a couple of good mentors when I was learning it. And I, I hope that like the stuff that I'm putting out there right now will have similar effects for, for people, uh, especially getting into event sourcing because that's by far the hardest part. Uh, so yeah, I hope these uh, podcasts and like, uh, uh, things like Event Sauce, and like I've spent hours documenting everything in Event Sauce. Uh, so I hope those things uh, work out for people.
0: So, uh, what's the best way for people to sort of keep up with you and maybe keep up with the work that you're doing uh, on Event Sauce if they want to check that out and try it out in one of their own projects?
1: Yeah, yeah. Uh, so, uh, first of all, you can always follow me on Twitter. Um, that's at Frank de Jonge. Uh, but you can also follow the EventSauce uh, PHP uh, Twitter account to just get the um, the uh, tweets from there. Uh, there's also on EventSauce.io um, a way to subscribe to the newsletter. Uh, I won't mail very often, just when something really significant has happened. So uh, if you want like the digest of things that happened, not not as they come, uh, that's probably the best way to do that.
0: Awesome, man. Well, uh, yeah, thanks again for for coming on, dude. This was a blast. I'm excited to to get this episode out there. I think people are going to really enjoy it.
1: Cool. Awesome. Thanks for uh, having me on the show.
0: Yeah, my pleasure. Uh, So if anyone is interested in show notes for this episode, they'll be at fullstackradio.com slash 85. Thanks to CodeShip and Rollbar for sponsoring the podcast this week. And if you have any feedback uh, or want to leave us a five-star review, unfortunately, five-star reviews are the only reviews we're currently accepting. Uh, You can either drop me a note on Twitter or send me an email or uh, head over to iTunes and uh, drop us a review. Uh, Thanks, everyone. See you next time.